0: Welcome to this week's Passport 2. This episode we are discussing women in business and we have two brilliant role models to talk to. Monica Vinader of her namesake jewellery brand and Whitney Bromberg-Hawkins of Flowerbox.
1: I will allow them to introduce themselves now.
0: My
1: name's Whitney Bromberg-Hawkins. I'm the CEO and founder of Flowerbox, which is an online flower delivery company uh, that's now across 23 countries in Europe and the U.S. Thank you. And Monica?
2: And I am Monica Venader. I'm the CEO and founder of Monica Venader. We're a UK-based demi-fine jewellery brand, and we are distributed globally. We've got shops kind of in quite a few places around the world, and uh, it's a real pleasure to be with you both today.
0: Thank you so much for both of your time and uh, coming here to share your stories. Monica, I'm going to start with you. Can you tell me, it's a big old question, but how did it all get started?
2: Well, um, a long, t- long sort of passion for jewellery for sure, but I guess for me it was really seeing the need for for jewellery that women could buy for themselves to wear and enjoy every day, uh, but without them having to compromise on design and quality and sustainability. And uh, I felt that there was that need for that relevant uh, jewellery that I at the time wanted to buy and couldn't find anywhere. So that's for me really how it all started.
0: That's brilliant, because it's a question I'm going to come to later actually about uh, self-gifting and the whole change of perception. But before we do that, Whitney, tell me about how it all got started from you.
1: Yeah, so like Monica, I saw a gap in the market. I was working for Tom Ford, the fashion designer, for almost 20 years. And as a working mom, I was buying my clothes online, you know, in net-a-porter or matches. I was buying my groceries on FarmDrop. I was buying my beauty online. But if I wanted to buy flowers, for my house or wanted to send flowers, there wasn't a convenient, um, consistent, chic online solution. So I started one.
0: Brilliant. And they clearly both worked and they fit a gap. I'm certainly one to gift myself. And so I see the place of both of them brilliantly in the market. You're both not from London, Monica, San Sebastian, and Whitney from across the pond in Dallas. I'd love to know how your background have influenced and shaped you um, as as businesswomen and in your businesses as well. Whitney?
1: Um, well, I think not being a florist um, has helped me sort of disrupt the floral industry and not being a native Londoner has enabled me to sort of see the world more globally and less from a um, sort of London or British perspective. So I think being an outsider does help you do new things inside.
2: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think we're both sort of outsiders in London and sort of in in, in many ways. I, I mean, I grew up in San Sebastian, but I've lived in England most of my life. I was partly educated in England. I've lived in Mexico, in Argentina, in Chile. I've, you know, worked in the U.S. I've worked all over the world. And I suppose I've always been a bit of a Wherever I've gone, I've been a bit of an outsider, which I've always been very comfortable with and I think it sort of allows you to be maybe more disruptive and it puts you out of your comfort zone which I think is always a good thing in life.
0: So would you say it's the travel that's taken you around or perhaps the different uh, lifestyles or cultural perspectives that's had a, an influence on your businesses?
2: I think for me traveling has been sort of critical in, in developing my, my global view of things and it's one of the things that I miss the most at the moment with lockdown is not being able to travel actually this time last year Whitney and I were in New York celebrating weren't we Um, which you know I know I so miss it but definitely I think travel has definitely shaped my my kind of view on on how I do things and I think where I'm from San Sebastian and, and the the Basque country in general has some very strong sort of kind of intrinsic sort of values about you know they really appreciate ingredients and quality and food and in general, there's a materiality to that is very appreciated that I think is definitely baked into my DNA as well. So I think I'm a little bit of a mix of all of those influences throughout my life.
1: Yeah, I mean I have to to say exactly the same thing that I think we're both very international people um, and our companies therefore are able to speak to an international clientele. I also think you know with uh, i mean I'm stating the obvious, but with the internet and with Instagram, et cetera, we very much have to um produce content and create a product that's desirable you know internationally and and even globally.
0: I think that's really really important delivering and speaking to this international clientele is key, but it's also in your sourcing and the the people that you work with, whether you're sourcing internationally i think uh Monica, you work with india whitney and of course you work with international suppliers as well so can you tell me about your your supply chains and your international relationships and perhaps the role of travel within sourcing your materials
1: whitney Yep. Yeah, i mean i think covid has taught both of us to be resourceful in ways that we never even imagined <laughs> um there was a period during lockdown in the u.s where our supply chain was completely cut off because there were no flights coming into um into New York. So we had a pivot and source from Ecuador and South America. There was a moment, there's been sort of moments throughout the past year where um, we've had to pivot, to focus on local supply, to shift supply really quickly. So that comes down to being agile and also um, having those sort of key relationships in place so that you can pick up the phone and call, you know, the suppliers in Miami to get (laughs) flowers when your, you know, Dutch or South American supply isn't Functioning, I, I think those international relationships have become more crucial, uh, and that and our local relationships. We now have formed really strong relationships with local British suppliers that we sell across the UK. In those ways, it sort of brought the supply back home, um, in sort in sort of a nice way.
0: Yeah, there's an absolute, there's a beauty to that, I
1: imagine. Yeah, it's it's you know it's challenging because it's I think local supply has its limits Um, and you know you it's not industrial supply that you know that's hugely scalable but it is you know it feels great to support local um, suppliers to support local growers to help the British floral industry Um, and now we're looking to do the same in our different territories so in California supporting California and you know local growers and same in on the east coast too
2: I um, our experience has been similar with, with during COVID that well for, for one our partners our international partners are pivotal to our business but what we've realized through COVID is how important that relationship with them was and you know I've worked with some of them for 12 years from the beginning you know the same guy that cut my stone 12 years ago is still cutting my stones you know I know their children it's it's a really special relationship in many ways. But, you know, I had to pick up the phone and and they they responded in a way that was incredible because they had their own challenges during COVID. We've had our own challenges, but they've been an incredible sort of pivotal part of, of our business. You know, they deliver the craftsmanship to our creativity. They deliver so much of, of what our customers see in terms of quality and and the materials that we use. And and traveling to Jaipur particularly has been such a key part of my job and such a key part of my the job that I been mean, the part of the job that I really enjoyed and I really miss it I mean I must say I really miss it now but the international supply chain is is very complex and it has been it has been very disrupted but because of those relationships for us they've come through and, and they've done an incredible incredible things for us this year I mean they really have gone above and beyond the call of duty it's been incredible
0: there's there's a beauty to building those relationships and maintaining them as well, which is which is so key in these businesses. In usual circumstances, do you find that you're still traveling a lot, having had the business reach a certain point?
2: Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, I mean, I was traveling so much. It almost got too much. Last year it was a crazy year for me. Um, and it is the one part of the job that I absolutely love. But it, it is exhausting. I mean, I was traveling all over. And with our business growing in the U.S., I was sometimes going to L.A. for 48 hours or, you know, Vancouver or, I mean, it was really, it was it was sometimes quite tough, but it is still the one the one part of the job that I felt was very necessary. And I think you were equally doing the same, were not you, weren't you? you were, we, we basically, we opened, I opened my Madison store at the same time as you opened in New York, didn't, you, didn't I?
1: Exactly, exactly. Um, and it takes a lot of both of us to get something going, I think, because you're the namesake of your brand, and I'm very much the... You know, still the sort of face of the, you know, flower box, and it's not going to happen by itself. You have to go and ignite that passion and and tell people what you're about. And so did I. So being physically present was sort of a a big part of that.
2: And I find that I learn so much when I go on those trips. So when I meet, customers or i meet uh, partners or i meet whoever i'm meeting is such a big part i it's a, it's a learning part of my job when i go to india and i go and see you know a new stone being cut or every time i go to the shop floor i learn something different so all of my trips have been sort of enriching in terms of making me better at what i do hopefully
0: i love to hear that you're both so incredibly hands on um throughout the process and even that, oh, we that
1: hands-on and we are both <laughs> hustlers I mean I loved when I first met Monica that I'm like god she's as much of a hustler as I am even though to me she's such a sort of a, a runaway success and her brand so established I love that she still has the drive I mean I find her so inspirational and I think you I mean we're both very much um you know on the shop floor selling <laughs> and oh, yeah, really, you know sure, involved for sure
2: athlete. yes there's no shortcut for meeting your customers and You know, I sometimes get more from seeing a customer react to a product than I get from loads of other insights or surveys because you instantly understand what they're getting out of what you're doing. It's amazing.
0: You mentioned the drive, Whitney, which I think is brilliant. It's all about the drive. What is the drive for you both? Is there something specific that keeps, keeps the dream alive or keeps
1: that drive going? Well, there has to be, because I think both of us would be dead in the water if we didn't like have the drive and believe. I mean, I certainly would have. The drive is I think we both really, and, and I'm not speaking for Monica, but fundamentally believe in what we're doing. And we really see the need for what we're doing, because I don't think I could be that driven if I didn't think I was going to completely change a consumer habit for an entire industry. It's quite a lofty ambition to disrupt the Flower industry, but um, that keeps me going, sort of every morning, and keeps me up before my alarm clock, and gives me a real goal um, that's very concrete.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I I still absolutely love what I do, and I absolutely love what I've built, and I absolutely love the product that we are designing. and And I suppose one of the things that drives me is that when I started this business with my sister, I sort of promised that to myself and to her I said look I believe that we could reach a lot of women with beautiful quality and beautiful design that they can afford and they can wear every day I think it's possible to to really not have to pay the world for really good quality and really good design and that willingness not to compromise at the beginning on on our quality and our design and our you know sort of intrinsic sort of values was so important that it still gets me up in the morning I have to be honest and it definitely in March and April I was it's almost like someone had lit a fire under my bum and I was like propelled to sort of you know make this work I mean it was literally an extraordinary feeling you know
0: I want to ask about how you dealt with that as well. But before that, I want to talk about uh, luxury. I mean, Citizen Femme were about luxury, but it's about attainable luxury and finding that gap of what what you need and what you want and crossing it over, which I think you've both done brilliantly. What does luxury mean to you both with both of your brands making luxury attainable?
1: That's a good question because it's a question I ask myself every day. And Monica, for me, has nailed it because she's created an aspirational product. But it's also an aspirational but obtainable product. And it's so tough to get that balance right. And I, you know, there are so many ways I could compromise on quality with what I'm doing endless ways. I mean, I could sell supermarket flowers and I could sell them, you know, grade C flowers and sell them for a lot less and probably reach mass um, a lot faster. But that integrity of product and of, of beauty is something that's so important to me. Um, so I am hopeful to, that I can create. You know, what Monica's created, which is sort of premium, I wouldn't say mass, but premium accessible luxury brand. And it's, it's a very, very tricky uh, road to navigate.
2: Yeah. I mean, when I receive your flowers, I get a luxury experience. You know, I, I and that luxury experience is that sort of richness, that quality, that joy it makes me feel. And I, and it feels quality. And for me, I think. Luxury is very linked with quality and craftsmanship with that attention to detail, your ribbon, right, for instance, is luxury, is that attention to detail that you have in your packaging? And for me, I hope that my customers see the attention to detail and care and love that we put into things. They're still access they're able to access it. it, it is it isn't it doesn't cost the world. But it is really, really that care and attention to me that really matters, and what it makes the customer feel because of that care and attention. It makes you feel really special. I think it really is. I feel special when I get your flowers through the door
1: exactly the same with your jewelry you feel special I mean it's 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 very I think a lot of that comes from you though Monica and I think it comes from me too it's like you imbue your product with your passion and your attention to detail and your love of quality and craftsmanship and and we feel that when we wear your pieces
2: Um, it's funny because sometimes when people come to me and they don't know me very well I said oh my god I bought one of your pieces and and what they often tell me is the amazing customer care service that they got, but also how when they received the packaging, how it was packed, how beautiful it was packed. And basically what they're telling me is that that packaging made them feel special. It, the the yes. way they yes. put it out, even if they didn't know me, that packaging, that intent was really to make them feel special and they feel it. And to me, that is a real luxury experience.
1: I know you guys should see. I've done a an I did a Q and A with Monica in her store <laughs> once a few years ago, and you guys, there was like a line around the block around the store. They the cash registers were going all night, and all these people that were like lining up to meet Monica. But it's amazing that. Um, you are so you translate so well in your product and that you have so many fans. I was blown away. It was like I was with a like Rolling Stone or something.
2: (laughs) I don't know. They were in my shop. So I think it was a bit exaggerated. But um it was it is amazing to meet those customers, isn't it? That was an incredible evening.
1: It really was. Um and I think the love um of you and your brand was so apparent to me there.
2: I think people know when you really, truly care, you're not just doing it. It's not just a job.
1: Yeah. And I think that you also are a real inspiration for women. I mean, you know, young girls, there were a lot of younger sort of 20-ish girls to see, you know, a woman who's completely made it. I mean, I'll knock on wood because I don't think we've ever really made it um, and we keep striving. But I think for a lot of women, you're, and, and for me, you know, for the past, since I've known you for the past five years, you've been such an example of someone who's done really brave things, someone who's, you know, raised a lot of money to make a lot of money, someone who's disrupted an industry and you're a real example for so many people. So I think it's more than about the jewelry. I think they're buying into the brand that's you.
0: I think you've both done a phenomenal job across this of uh, being the face behind the brand, being relatable, having wonderful personalities, being open. You talk about the experience and the way it makes someone feel, which is such a key part of from flowers to jewelry, uh, the experience of re- receiving something, of opening it, and enjoying the whole the whole world of, of wearing something to enjoying your living room with flowers. Uh, which leads me to my next question is who your target audience was. Did you actually launch the businesses with the idea of women buying for themselves? Because that's something that's obviously changed quite substantially.
2: Yeah, well, I certainly did. I mean, I I don't even think so much in terms of self-gifting as much as in self-purchasing, as in it, my my business was not just for women to gift themselves from time to time. It was really designed for women to buy jewellery when the jolly well wanted to, you know, anytime they wanted to, that they could buy something that was fit for purpose for their lifestyle, for what how they were going to wear it. It had to be really fit for every day and it had to be accessible for them so that they could afford it and they could not have to think about saving loads or asking someone. I felt that the whole concept of anyone else buying jewelry for you was so old fashioned. I mean, you know, it just did not apply to the person that I was and I could see that, there's so many women just wanted to buy their own jewelry. I mean, it sort of went for me. It was almost, it was, it kind of went without saying.
1: Yeah. I think the idea of self-purchase was always key to what we were doing. Um, I wanted to basically create the flower market, but the the flower market online that you could buy for yourself, you know, not, not so much self-gifting, but if you wanted to have flowers in your house for a dinner party or have in your life, you could live your life with flowers in a sort of easy and convenient way. Um, but interestingly, the past year, I mean, since March with, you know, COVID, the our self-gifting has gone through the roof. We were up yeah. sort of seven or 800% year on year from last year. And that, I, I think back to the emotional experience, people need things that make them feel good. We don't need more stuff. And I think none of our consumers need more stuff. Right now, what we crave is something that makes you feel good. Um, so, you know, this idea of self-gifting now has, has really, it's, it's exceeded even gifting, um, the past six months, which I think speaks a lot to our time and it speaks a lot to, you know, what we're all communally going through. And I think that idea of of taking time for yourself is going to, it's not going to go away. Um, I think if anything, that idea of self-care and well-being and creating a beautiful environment is something that we're all going to take away from this.
0: Yeah, I definitely think
1: it's a good lesson that I
0: hope people have taken or will take from 2020
1: for sure. Yeah, I think it's the
2: little things that are really mattering so much, right? It's just that treating yourself to, you know, that little ring that you want to wear every day or treating yourself to flowers that it, you come into the house every day or into a room and you, you feel good. It's, it's, it's about feel good, small things that kind of make quite a big difference. And I think we've all come to appreciate how small things can make a very big difference, right?
1: Absolutely, um, I also think as for as far as gifting goes, you know not self purchase but gifting like staying connected right now has never been more essential, like we are not allowed, like the government has prohibited us from seeing people we love, so I think this idea of connectivity that you get both through jewelry and through flowers of, you know, I love you. I'm thinking about you. I miss you. Like, I'm sorry, I missed your graduation. I'm sorry. I missed your birthday. I'm sorry. I missed mother's day. So all of these moments that we're missing, I think are, are really punctuated by sending love through these things that have a real intrinsic sentimental value. I mean, jewelry historically does have, you know, a real sentimental, um, value, and, and flowers, of course, do too, um, and sort of speak of love and emotion and connection.
0: When you were starting out or in the journey, um, any particular women that were very helpful to you, who and how?
1: Monica. Monica. <laughs> Monica has always been very helpful to me because she was further down the road um, than I was. She's always been further down the road than I am because she started before I did. Um, So she's been so helpful to me as like a sounding board, as giving me advice, helping me say no to things that weren't right and say yes to things that were. Um, I was also very lucky that Natalie Massonet was um, our first investor and has been someone who's been a great sounding board to me. And um, again, just inspiration, you know, giving me advice when I need it, supporting me when I need it, Um, all of those great things that women do so well, good women do so well.
2: Yeah, I mean, I feel like I've had like a whole host of amazing women throughout my life, let alone, you know, in the last 12 years since I started the brand. And I suppose my business was founded by two women (laughs) to allow women to buy jewelry. It's all It's all there, but I suppose this for me is this kind of amazing community of women that we've had around us, you know, whether it's our customers who have been buying, you know, for for, for for years, and even some of my first customers that first started buying from me who really supported me and encouraged me at the beginning. And then we just had amazing kind of support and from amazing editors in the UK, you know, people like, you know, and then people like Caroline Issa, who has been such a huge part of my journey from sounding board, to advisor, to stylist, to then more recently, collaborator in a in a collection. And then, you know, this year we've worked with uh, Doina Shibanu, who's been, you know, the most incredible collaborator, a young woman of such integrity and uh, so articulate and interesting. And, and I've learned a lot from all of those kind of relationships and they've really kind of helped shape, I suppose, my way with their input and their generosity and being part of our, I guess, of our broader community. It's been quite amazing, actually, how many women have helped us.
0: That, that's really brilliant and incredibly promising to hear. How do you both build your team? Whitney, I read that you believe in surrounding yourself with people you would holiday with. I definitely <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> know, on, on hiring or creating that environment to, for a successful business to grow.
1: Well, I'm not sure if i go that far. No, I'm just kidding. But Tom Ford, who was my old boss, always used to say, never hire someone you wouldn't want to have dinner with. And I think that is a good rule of thumb. I think if you don't sort of like someone, it's hard. to. And I, well, I think because of how hard we all work and how passionately we're all driven by what we're doing, if you have a personality clash with someone you work with. It's pretty tough. Um, I'm super happy to be argued with. I'm very happy for people to disagree with me, but if it's a personality misfit, I think that can be very damaging. And it also becomes very impar- apparent to um, everyone else on the team. So I, I genuinely adore every single person I work with. They're all giving one hundred, one million 1 million percent they all have like not taken their foot off the pedal they have put their foot down on the pedal um and really accelerated throughout this you know incredible downturn and i'm super inspired by them every single day
2: yeah that's so interesting isn't it how it's so interesting uh, how how this this period has has put everything to the test and I think for, for me it's always been about hiring people who are a good culture fit with us of course as well as having kind of the skill set that we need but so much can unravel if you don't get the culture fit right but also so much can go right when you get the culture fit right and then you see people deliver yeah. from all corners of the business and you see it all come together and that is quite an extraordinary thing to see and in times like the last few what we've had the last few months it's been really the proof of the pudding you know the teams that you when you when you get it right what they can do is amazing
1: so true i I mean it's like when it isn't a well-oiled machine you're like yes (laughs) it is the best feeling and i've never actually had it until covid because there were always extra people or people that weren't quite right or people that you let sort of slow the team down and you sort of i don't know there was now it's like we're all streamlined. We're all moving in the same direction. We're light. We're like lean, and it feels good.
0: Are there any lessons in business that you would have told, or you would tell your younger self, Monica?
2: <laughs> oh, so many, so many. But I suppose, yeah, gosh, lots of them. But I suppose for me, the the biggest thing is I I really believe focus is really important, and I think that if I'm really honest with myself, I could have focused much more, much earlier, even, even before I even started this business. Um, so I think I would have told my younger self to focus and get on with it earlier,
1: probably. What about you, Wendy? That's such good advice. Um, I I can't even begin to start with the lessons I've learned um, and most especially in the past year. But um, I was on this really interesting talk the other day and um, this guy from Bain, uh, a consultant was speaking and he said, which I thought was really poignant. He's like, you know, bikers don't win the race on the way down. He's like, they win where they get ahead is on the way up where everyone else is struggling, which sort of reframed this time for me. And like the fact that now it's actually an opportunity to, to get ahead and to, you know, put the pedal down. So I think that's been my biggest takeaway from COVID. And then my biggest takeaway in general, I think is to fail faster. I think there were, I I didn't have the confidence to just go for things and let them be wrong. And then change direction I was sort of trepidatious and even with people I don't think I took the risks that now I'm more comfortable taking um to fail faster
2: yeah I think we're all taking we're all taking more risks in some ways right now because we just (laughs) we just become I think we've all become braver honestly it's just been so tough that you know I definitely think I've become braver
1: for sure um, and more determined, I think.
2: Super determined. is like someone's just put a rocket and, and it's just not going to stop.
1: Yep. I mean, I think just when you think like being an entrepreneur can't be tougher because it's a tough, sometimes lonely <laughs> and uphill struggle, you're like, wow, throw a global pandemic and, you know, the biggest recession in 300 years into the mix.
0: Across those, those points, which were actually partly the next question, which covers it, but do you have any golden rules in business that you'd care to share?
2: well i i don't i'm really bad with rules because i believe rules are to be broken i don't believe in rules but i suppose from from i always go back to trusting my instinct trusting my gut i very much tend to look at the facts but then really let my instinct speak and i have learned over the years to listen to my instinct um i think it's a very underrated thing and um and then I think my other rule is tends to be around focus and execution. I think execution is so such a sort of unattract you know, so unfashiony and everything. But you know, executing all of these good ideas need focus and they need strong and clear execution and a lot of hard work. And and I sort of like that that path. I know it's it's not glamorous, but I do like it and I do like getting things done and and getting getting on with things.
0: I think that's incredibly useful and wholesome and real advice to always follow Whitney what about you
1: yeah so for me um, I think feel the fear and do it anyway like go through that pain barrier because if you're not going through something scary you're sort of not growing so I think that applies for the business for me personally um, to just keep pushing boundaries and then I think The other, my big golden rule um, is quality, 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 quality. That's what, there's enough stuff out there. So produce something that means something and that's, you know, that's a beautiful quality product. So that really applies to everything we do, whether it's any collaboration, any sort of partnership, any product that we launch, it has to be about quality. um, Because I think that's what we stand for as a brand.
0: Also wonderful and luxury equates quality and I think that's integral. So thank you for that. My final question, your best piece of travel advice?
2: My best piece of advice is to always pack a folding bag, which is really silly because I try to travel as light as possible on the way out. But on the way back, I always accumulate stuff because I either go shopping or I pick pebbles on the beach. So my best bit of advice is to always pack a folding bag so I can bring all my loot home, really, which is a very silly advice, but it's helped me enormously over the years to avoid massive arguments with my husband.
1: Very useful. (laughs) (laughs) That is good advice. I'm not sure I have great travel advice. My best advice to myself is to travel with my husband because he's really good at traveling and really good at packing and really good at organizing things. Yeah, I'm not sure I've nailed the travel advice
0: yeah it's a work in progress thank you both so so very much for your time and your insight where can everyone follow you on social media
2: for me it's just monica Vinader. it's uh, on instagram or on facebook what's what are you uh, what are you flab uh, i'm at, you?
1: at the flower bar
0: i hope you enjoyed this episode we have some great women in our season, two, and we would love you to check back in and listen to them. So far, we've explored travel journalism. We've gone behind the scenes at our favourite hotels with our favourite hoteliers. We've explored the world through food. And most importantly, we have discussed the future of travel, travel post-COVID. If you're enjoying our podcast, please do share, comment, like, subscribe, or just drop us a note and let us know. Available on iTunes and Spotify. Happy listening.